Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Next Monday, Monica and I will be celebrating 30 happy years of marriage. Fifteen of them were happy for her, fifteen of them were happy for me. <laughs> and sometimes we were even happy at the same time, which is a bonus, isn't it? You know, it's funny. I started very, uh, I started very idealistic about marriage, but life has a way of forcefully pounding that out of a person with startling efficiency. <laughs> the uh, marriage... Actually, I, I was reading this week, one, one person said it like this, one psychologist said it like this, the more idealistic we are about marriage, the more likely we are to be pessimistic in our relationship. The, and with that, with that said, there's nothing like a strong marriage. A strong marriage is rewarding, it's beneficial, it protects us emotionally, it protects us physically, it protects children, it protects communities. But a poor marriage is exactly, it does exactly the opposite. It, a poor marriage that leaves us exposed, it leaves us vulnerable, it leaves us hurting and in pain. Uh, marriage is like the Wizard of Oz. It can be both great and terrible. Sorry guys, I'm not, it just happens. And in a day, in a day and age where there seems to be a lot, there seems to be a lot of assault on the family, on relationships, specifically, I would say, on Christian values. There seems to be just an all-out attack on, on Christian values in society and living them and, and abiding by them. And today, I want to take a look at what marriage is and, and what it's not. And most, most importantly, I think, to understand what marriage is, we have to understand what it was, who designed it, and and what it was designed for. You know, we can it, it can be viewed with pessimism today. It, it can be viewed as an outdated, old-fashioned concept. Or the the flip side of that is, it can be idealized into something it's actually not. It can be idealized as the ultimate goal in life, and without it, we're incomplete. But we need to we need to understand what was what what is marriage designed to be? The Western view of marriage in our in our current in our current Western view it has it's turned into a lot of uh, I would say it's turned into more of a mutual contract between two parties. It's for kind of mutual benefit for for individual growth and satisfaction. And in this view, people marry for themselves, but not, it, there's not a sense of greater purpose attached to it. It's not, there's not a sense of greater responsibility that has been attached to it. And that, while this is partially correct, it's partially correct, it's partially incorrect. And the reason that it, it, there needs to be something greater attached to marriage is because marriage isn't always good. Marriage there gets hard at times. And if all I'm in marriage for is my personal satisfaction and my personal benefit, I can guarantee there will be times you will personally not be satisfied in a marriage. Everybody who's married is giggling and laughing. 
because it's the truth. There has to be something greater attached to marriage to make marriage thrive in hard times. When it's no longer enjoyable, there needs to be a deeper purpose and understanding that runs, uh, that has a stronger anchor than just personal fulfillment, because I guarantee you, you will not be personally fulfilled in seasons of marriage. And this comes down to how we view uh, how we view marriage. Do we view it from the West? Our Western point of view, we're very consumeristic in the way we approach life. We don't like what the preacher says, we go to a different church. We don't like, you know, if we, we don't like the, the food at the restaurant, we go to a different restaurant. We're quite quick to, you know, to move on. We, we, there, there's a, a consumer point of view of life, and then there's, there's a covenantial point of view. And the difference is this, the consumer, I mean, how many, let, let's just get honest here. How many of you love your coffee in the morning? Like your, your coffee people, it's okay. You can admit it. I love coffee. Like coffee is life. <laughs> Coffee's good. And you know, the, you can go to, you can go to your local coffee shop or you can go to a coffee shop and you, you know, you, you can, your, co your local coffee barista may even know you by name, know you by sight and, and you go and as long as the coffee is good, you keep going. But then one day somebody takes you to a different coffee shop and you taste the coffee and it's like, this is better. Remember the first time I had a really good cup of coffee, and it's like, wow, this just tastes better. And all of a sudden, I have no relationship with my previous <laughs> coffee shop. <laughs> I have a new coffee shop. Why? Because I'm a consumer. In the depth of my relationship, it only goes as deep as really my own selfishness. And if I find a coffee shop that serves better coffee, the first relationship ends and a new one begins. Now, take that to the relationship. This is a great illustration for today on Child Dedication Sunday. You wake up two in the morning and you hear screaming and crying from the room next to your bedroom. It is your child's room. And as you get, and every parent gets this wonderful opportunity to serve in this manner. You get up and you walk in their room and there is puke all over everything. I know it's lovely, isn't it? And you know, there's, as you, I, I'm not a puke person. like. There was, there was kind of a, this ongoing agreement in our marriage. It's like she cleans up the puke. And I can handle a lot of dirt, but it's like the puke is just... I, I told her, like, if I have to clean up the puke, you will be cleaning up the puke of two people. <laughs> but, but then one time, she, Monica was sick. And I, I don't know if it was Kaylin or Samara. I walked in their room, and there was puke everywhere. It's on the floor. Monica was sick too. And she's like, uh, and I'm like, there's got to be a better deal in life than this. <laughs> but you know what? I cleaned up the puke. I thought I'd, that deserved a round of applause, but 
Because <laughs> it's puke. But you know what we do in that type of relationship? That's a covenantial relationship. That's a relationship where you're not weighing it based on what's the value that I'm receiving out of this experience at this moment. <laughs> this is a relationship that says I've committed to this relationship and I will carry through my commitment regardless of the sacrifice and costs. Marriage is not just an agreement. One of the things we find from the Bible, marriage is a covenant. And a covenantial relationship means there's times we will have to plug our noses and clean up the mess together. That we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to work through hard things. We'll have to work through things that that coffee shop down the street serves better coffee. Marriage. Let me just say this, and this you might be here. You might be here and you're not married and you're thinking, well, this, none of this applies to me. And I just want to preface this with, with this, that first of all, beware of making an idol of marriage. Beware of making an idol of marriage. The, the, the goal of life is not to get married. The goal of life is to be Christ-like and reflect him to the world. And the goal is to be obedient to the purpose of God on your life and in, it, that may involve marriage, but it may not involve marriage. Or it may involve a season, a long season of singleness. Because God has to get a spouse ready for you. Or God has to get you ready for a spouse. You know, Paul said it. Paul said that, it, it, that, that not all are called to be married. And he, said, he actually said, if you're able to embrace this calling, being single is actually better than being married. Now, that sounds a little rich coming from a married guy on the stage. But, but I think Paul had some insight. You know, we don't need to be married to be fulfilled or fulfill the purpose of God in our life necessarily. You know, Jesus wasn't married. And he fulfilled the call of God. Uh, upon his life. And so um, I just want to, I just want to encourage you, you know, beware of, don't make an idol of marriage. Sometimes I, I, I see people, they, they fall in love with the idea of marriage, but the, you know, the idealism of marriage is very different than the experience of marriage. Marriage is an enhancer. It can enhance both pain and joy. It can, it, can, it can enhance relationship, but it can also enhance estrangement. It enhances whatever is in your life, working in your heart. In this time, marriage will just enhance it. It'll just make it that much more noticeable. And, you know, pe you, know you think, well, if, if I get married, it'll kind of fix this part of my life. And then you get married and realize, no, it just exposes that part of your life, and now there's just someone else who knows about it. <laughs> there's, it's very true. So here's some myths of marriage. Is, the first myth is I need to get married to be complete. Or if I'm not married, something is missing. Or I, I cannot be truly happy, complete, or fulfilled unless slash until I am married. I need to be married so I can be sexually fulfilled. 
These are myths. And I think to address these myths, what, what we do is we just look at what is, what is the original design? What is the original intent of marriage when God gave it to us? And I believe it's more important than ever that we understand that we understand the purpose for which God has created things, has created us on the earth. So let's go to the first great place to start. Start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. <laughs> to understand the meaning of marriage, we go to the first one, Adam and Eve. They were put together by God for a specific purpose to carry out. And it was that purpose, we find it in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, it says, this is where, this is God's Speaking to himself, he says, Now let us conceive a new creation, humanity made in our image, fashioned according to our likeness. And let us grant them the authority over all the earth, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the birds in the sky, the domesticated animals, and the small creeping creatures on the earth. So God did just that. He created humanity in his image, created the male and female, and then God blessed them, and he gave them this directive, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth. I make you trustees of my estate. So care for my creation and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every creature that roams across the earth. This is what we see. This is the purpose that God created marriage, was that, they would, first of all, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, this is kind of a given, is, is when, when people get married, children arrive. I don't know if you've noticed the correlation. But that's, that's part of the purpose. It's to create a safe structure for, for humanity to grow in and to thrive. The other thing that we find is that, that it, it, the specific purpose was to reflect the care of God to creation and nurture the world they inhabit in order to bring about the flourishing of creation. Part, part of the purpose of marriage was to take care of the earth, to take care of the planet. It was to create, it was, it was to, to, be, to be stewards of that which God has put us in. The purpose, the purpose of marriage was not sexual fulfillment. Sex is great. It is. But it's actually not the main thing about marriage. Actually, if you put it on a time clock scale, it's a pretty small portion of the marriage. I didn't think that was that funny, but I'll take it. You know, going into marriage, going into any relationship, looking to be fulfilled by someone else is a recipe for disaster. It really is. Expecting somebody else to fix what's missing in me, I am asking for trouble. I am asking for disappointment. I am asking for pain. Sex is great. Sex is a gift from God. Sex is like the sugar you give your kid right before you give them the bitter tasting medicine. It's a gift. 
It's a gift God gave to us because he knew the rest of this relationship is going to be a challenge for them. So I'm going to give them a gift <laughs> that's going to help bind them together as they are learning to get along together. Actually, from a physiological point of view, that's exactly what happens. Oxytocin is released in, this, in, the, in the bloodstream. It's a, that, that's the hormone that causes us to bond and trust one another. What's interesting is, is pornography doesn't release that. And what happens in, in casual sexual relationships, it starts being released, but then over time, people lose their ability like the oxytocin stops being released and they actually lose their ability to bond with one another over time. And so there is, this is something God has given as something to protect us, to bind us together, to hold us together, but also to, 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 to something that allows us to deal with difficult things. In our hypersexualized society, there's this, there really seems to be this prevailing message that any form of sexual desire denied is almost, is almost viewed as repressive. As it's, it's almost evil to say, I mean, to stand up and say, hey, you should wait till you get married. Like, I, I've actually, yeah, I just... I have, to, I have to watch what I say in these moments of time. But in our hypersexualized hyper society, like if, we're taking, if we're taking our cues from the world around us, if we're taking our lessons and, and we're taking our understanding, you know what, we're going to get the fruit of, what's, of, of the relationships in the world around us. You know, I've had people... Tell me, the church, you know, we need to get with the time sexually. Our, our ideas of sexuality are outdated. I have a news flash for you. They've always been outdated. <laughs> they have. They've always been outdated. Like, when the, when the church was born in, in 33, probably closer to 30 AD, when the church was born, it was not born into a society that dressed up with collars around their necks and dresses to their ankles. Greek Roman culture was one of the most was one of the most sexually active cultures in his in the history of the world. Greek Roman culture part of schooling for boys was they got educated by other men. It's part of your role as being a mentor e being taught was that you got you learned how to take it wow this went south quickly mike <laughs> and it was to this culture that paul wrote don't you know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit and it, and it was in the whole context of sexuality. And this was in a culture that they would have just grown up with. There are, there are no rules. 
They would have just grown up, not, not under, and, and to, for, the ch- for the church to be born into that environment, the church to, to be introduced into that environment, and then for them to c- come and start talking about sexual fidelity and, and faithfulness in marriage, that would have not been an expected message. That was not the message of the culture at the time. But it was, it was a fundamental message in the church as it was being born. And Paul said this, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And then he went on to say, he or she who sins sexually sins against himself. This is actually the, he, he, he lists off all these other sins, and then he says, but sexual sin, we're actually sinning against our own soul. It's not, it, it may be harming others, but it, it, we're actually harming ourselves. Then we have to ask the question, why, why are there confinements? Why are there restrictions? Why can't we just, you know, just do, all do what we agree on? Well, every time in Scripture we find a restriction, God didn't place restrictions on us for his sake. He placed restrictions on us for our sake. Because he knew, if when he said, do not steal, he didn't do that because when we steal, it makes him cry. (laughs) You know, he did that because he knew a culture in which stealing is okay will be a culture in which chaos will reign in interactions and relationships. Everything, everything that he's given as a command, it's for our benefit. It's not, for, it's not just to, I'm going to see how hard I can make it on them. No, it's, it's their fences to protect us from going over the cliff. They're, they're there to protect us. And so the, thing we have, the question we have to ask is, are we going to trust what God says will bring life, or are we going to look to the world around us and believe what they say will bring us life? This is the first question that mankind has ever, ever had to wrestle with. Will I believe what God said is for my benefit and protection? Or will I take the fruit and eat it believing that I know better? And we have wrestled with that question for every generation since. Will I trust that what God said will work? Or will I trust that I know better than him what will make me happy? Here's a spoiler. You don't know. <laughs> Here's the purpose of marriage. I, this sounds a little negative, but I thought it was funny. The purpose of marriage is to give you new and creative ways to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the purpose of marriage. <laughs> put that on a slogan. Just stick it on a poster on your wall. You know, when Paul wrote, and I, I'm saying this obviously with a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's, when, in, uh, the, the theme of Ephesians chapter 5, it's, it's actually one about relationships, and it's about us submitting and serving one another. And then Paul, at the end of this letter, in verse 22, he goes on to talk about marriage. He goes on to talk about husbands and wives, and he's, he said, it, he finished the previous paragraph by saying, you know, in love, submit to one another. And then he goes on 
to apply it to the marriage. He says, wives, it should be no different with your husbands. Submit to them as you do to the Lord. We hate terminology like this, don't we? For God, and, and you know, husband, if you're, willing, if you're wanting to just stand up and say to your wife, see, the Bible says you got to submit to me. Wait a minute, your turn is coming. Submit to them as you do to the Lord, for God has given husband for God has given husbands a sacred duty to lead as the anointed leads the church, as Jesus leads the church and serves as the head. Husbands, here you go, here's your turn. You must love your wives so deeply, purely, and sacrificially that we can understand it only when we compare it to the love of the anointed one, that the anointed one has for his bride, the church. And just in case you're wondering, he goes on to define what that is. He gave himself up completely to make her his own. So husbands, you should care for your wives as if your life, as if your life depends on it. Care for them the way you care for your own body. Just going to skip down here. And this is the reason a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. So two come together as one flesh. And there is a great mystery reflected in this scripture. And I say to you that it has to do with the marriage of the anointed one, Jesus, and his church. See, marriage is to be a reflection of Jesus and the church. And the, the price Jesus paid for his church was complete. He completely sacrificed himself for the south so that we the church could be saved and this is the this is the standard by which paul says this is how marriage works women you submit men you die <laughs> and then it will work submit Love deeply, purely, sacrificially. Give yourself up completely. Care as if your life depends on it. Love, protect, and honor. See, in a, in a, in a consumer relationship, none of that can live. None of that can survive. And I just want to say this. You know, when it comes to the Christian faith, denial is actually a tenet of the Christian faith. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must first deny yourself take up your cross and follow me and for relationships to work for godly relationship i think for any real relationship to be healthy we have to it's not the other person has to deny themselves we both have to deny ourselves and we have to care and we have to love and we have to we have to cherish and the sooner that we learn that we can't have our own way, the better. Just stare at someone awkwardly that needed to hear that. Then Paul goes on to say that, you know, this is a mystery. It says the, the church... There's a great mystery reflected in this scripture, talking about a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So it's a great mystery. And you know, if you've been in 
If you've been in marriage for any length of time, you begin to understand there's a, there is a great mystery to marriage. That it's something through, that through something that we suffer and contend, we can flourish. That, that it's not, don't be scared of the contending. Don't be scared of the suffering because in any relationship, there's times where there's suffering and can, I'm making this sound terrible right now, but it's working, it's, it's contending and working through life together. It's, dis, it's discovering, you, you, in the process, you discover yourself. And it, it's that contending that, that creates flourishing. And it's, you know, the, the Old Testament the word for the Old Testament, the, old, the word for spouse in the Old Testament is the word alap, which is actually Hebrew for the word best friend, meaning best friend. And at a time when women were regarded as property, this was actually a radical departure from the way society viewed women in society and the relationship between husband and women. But it's, you know, it's, in times, in times where life is challenging, it's, you have to remind yourself, you know, this is a person, this is my alap. This is the person I've been put together as a, as a friend. And, uh, you know, if you are in one of those seasons that's difficult, I want to encourage you. You know, the stats, the stats show that the majority of people who say they're unhappy in their marriage will become happy within five years if they persist. And, but you know what five years is? That's time. It means you're gonna contend for a while. It means it's not gonna be better after a one week course or a, you read a book or an online article on three easy ways to be fulfilled in your marriage. Contend. A great and terrible marriage. And here's some questions before you get married because before you get married, it's a great time to ask questions. After you're married, shut your questions up and die. <laughs> Once you're married, all the questions are over. Before you're married, ask all the questions you want. Actually, be good at asking good questions. Here's a great question to ask. Am I wanting to get married because I feel like it will fix something that's missing in me? Because it won't. It'll just make it all that much more evident that something is missing. The second one, I actually believe the second question is maybe one of the greatest ones, is do we share a mutual purpose greater than just our relationship? Do we have a purpose? Because the feelings leave. They will go away. That person who you have warm, fuzzy feelings about today, not always warm and fuzzy, people. You need a greater, there needs to be a greater anchor for that relationship. And, you know, I think, it, I look, looking back, it's always been the anchor of the church for us that, that that's Jesus and his church has been, and coffee have been the, <laughs> have been our anchor points. If you're, great, and here's another really quick very important question. If you're a follower of Jesus and your faith is important to you, do they share the same value of faith that you have? Because if they don't, that will become an issue of contention in the relationship in the future. All right. 
Here's another thing. Watch how they treat those who they view as lesser or people that they treat that are familiar to them. Because eventually they will treat you worse. Because familiarity breeds contempt and you will become the most familiar relationship in their world at some point. And some great old advice is watch how they treat their mom. Watch how they treat their parents because that's how they're going to treat you in time. If, they, if you see they have a respectful, honoring relationship, that's a really good indicator that it's, there's a good future. All right, Mike, you're done. Your time's up. Let's stand. And I want, just as I conclude this, I want to jump back to that question because this isn't just about marriage. This is about how we view, this is about how we view God and how we view following him is will we trust? Am I going to trust what God says will bring me life? Or am I going to try, or, or am I going to just decide on my own what I think? And I want to encourage us, you know, as we conclude, whether, whether you're married here in a great marriage, in a challenging marriage, or maybe you're here and you're wanting to be married, or maybe you're here and you're not wanting, you're not married and you don't want to be married. The, the question isn't, should I change my relationship status? The, the question is always, will I trust what God says? about my life. Well, while I trust what God says about following him, that, that he knows where I want to be down the road better than I even know where I want to be down the road. And I, and, and you know, I think the, one of the most important prayers, we pray it every, every time we're at church, we pray this prayer. And I think it's as important whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years or for five minutes is that question, will I say yes? to the purpose of God for my life? Will I say yes to following him, to his ways, to trusting him? And it's, I think it's a daily decision. And I'm just gonna, if you, I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. It's a prayer saying yes to Jesus, a prayer saying yes to following him. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, you can just pray along with me and pray along with us as we pray this together. Let's pray, Jesus, I say yes to you. Would you come into my life would you lead me? I want to follow you. I want to follow in your ways. I want to trust you with my future. Would you come into my life? Forgive me of my sin. And give me a new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.